welcome back to the Brain Candy Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. With me, as per usual, my bestie, Susie. Hi. Hi, Suze. Oh, that was a sick dude. Hello. <laughs> That's like the opposite of how I usually come into this. <laughs> Fired up. What if I was just trying to be like the opposite? Like well, you're allowed and I'm like, oh, I'm so, oh, I'm I'm so, so dainty. Suze. Just look at me how dainty. Well, you know, Hi, Sarah. Good. How you doing? Well, I'm good. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm good. What's the matter? Nothing. What's eating at your craw? <laughs> That's so weirdest expression. But no, I'm, I was actually thinking, like, do I have anything to complain about? And I was like, no, because Susie just fed me lunch, and I feel satisfied, and I just had a most delicious egg salad sandwich. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, nobody makes an egg salad sandwich like my friend Suze. Well, and she told me this, and she said that she's had three different kinds, so in her whole life. In my whole life. And mine is the best. Yep, of all those three, hers is the best <laughs> one. One of them was an airport one, and one of them from, was from Starbucks, and yours is the best out of all three. I mean, that's real. The bar is low. Yeah. But I do make it good. The best. Uh, welcome to episode 90. 90. Man. No, is it 90? Sure is. Is that wrong? Yeah. It's 91. Oh. Well, because we have the, the, the bonus episode. Oh. Technically, it's episode All right, 90. 91. We'll call it 91. We're calling it 91, people. What? <laughs> We're calling it 91. Yeah, because we, we did a bonus episode. Because, yeah. you know. Whatever. But uh, we're generous. That's why. That's mm-hmm. why we did it. I see. You see what I'm saying? I do. We're almost at 100. I can't believe that. Yes, I can. Does Holy it feel like that? Holy smokes. Does it feel like that for you listeners? That you know is what's crazy. exciting is if you are a new Brain Candy Brainiac, and now you have almost 100 back episodes to listen to. That's a lot. That's awesome. <laughs> Because have you ever like gotten invested? Okay, them. like I got excited about the show Black Mirror that I talked about on our last podcast episode, and there's only like four episodes in each freaking season, and I got nothing to watch. Yeah, because I burned through them too fast. Yes, and that's how I felt about like making the murderer. Yeah, too fast. Yeah, it's, and then it's over. Over. And at that time that I watched it, there was no plans to even. You know, I think they're filming again now, but. Mm. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you ever watch that? I, you know what? I watched like the first three episodes and then I didn't even watch it. What? Is because with I did. You? I know. Because I didn't sit down and actually watch it. I have to actually watch. I'm going to do it. I got time I just, off. It's just that I can't imagine because it's so like, you yeah. know, you want to know what happens. Yeah. yeah. And so do you have a sense from like the news or what? Kind of. I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of people said it was super unfair and that he shouldn't be behind bars. And, you know, but I'm going to have oh to watch God. it. Oh, my God. I know. I'm the worst. You know what I'm trying to get my husband to watch? The Jinx. Well, how has he not watched that? That's what I said. And so we're going to... But then I come upstairs one day and he's watching, like, the middle of episode, like, five or something. And I freaked out. And I was like, what are you doing? You can't watch this. You have to watch from the beginning. I just saw an interview with Robert, or actually... I think it was in a um, trial. He's on trial. Mm-hmm. And he said that he was on meth the whole yeah. time. What? That's insane. Which part? I heard that. The part where that's You don't believe excuse- it? No, I don't believe that. Also, I've seen people <laughs> on meth and none of them act like that. Wait. Act like what? Him, how he was being interviewed. If you're on meth, you can't get through an interview like that. Why? Because you're on I thought it makes out. you super focused. Not maybe like... Yeah. No, it makes you... Maybe he was on, like, Adderall. Yeah, That's well, a form Adderall of Adderall doesn't make you want, like, kill people. 
No, I think, I'm not sure, but I think what he was saying was that, that he shouldn't be held accountable for the confession aspect. Yeah, but you know what you should be held accountable for? (laughs) The bodies that were found in your possession and the people you chopped up. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, no no argument here, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Person to the choir. I mean, that guy, though, well, and he's, I think that's why he agreed to do the series in the first place is that he was all hopped up on meth. I don't know. Because remember, he had watched... Yeah. A film or uh-huh. whatever that the director had made before mm-hmm. about him uh-huh. or about whatever. And he didn't like the bits, how they showed him. Yeah, he wanted to be involved. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like egomania. Like, uh-huh. I love it. I love it. And then when we when my husband saw just a little bit of he saw that he saw, he was like, That I've never seen somebody's eyes so black and I'm like, Yeah, he has no soul. Did I ever tell you about this guy in my neighborhood? Timmy Bukowski is his name. You can look mm-hmm. him up. No. Google him, Timmy Bukowski. He had three kids Mm -hmm. and a wife. Mm. And when um, I was about, let's see, maybe 11, they, he had grown up in my neighborhood. Like he was my mom's paper boy. And then they moved back because the mom died. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking like, what happened? And they said she choked. Like, Mm -hmm. we were like, okay, weird. And then that's all. And they lived in our neighborhood and I would hang out with them all the time. And the dad was always around. And then he got remarried and they lived real close to us. And then she died. (gasps) No. (laughs) He killed both of them. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) I just got real cold. What? He strangled her in their hot tub. Both of them he strangled in like tub and hot tub. He's a murderer, and I hung out with him and oh played with him and his kids. What is it? What? We went to the movies. <sighs> I felt so bad for those kids. Me too. Yeah, because they were so nice. I remember seeing one oh of them later. Oh my gosh. What do you even do when you're... Yeah, so he's in the slammer, obviously. Yeah. I gotta. I want to write him a letter, though, because you know how I do that. I do. And I... Because I... You know, now that I am working on this book, which, by the way, is supposed to be the episode today is supposed to be about books, but all we keep talking about is murderers. Yeah, we have a tendency to do that, but this is so fascinating. Okay, what are you, you going to well, tell me about? What are so you ask him? the interest for me in murderers is one that you might be able to help me with because I always hit this block where is it like, is it just mental illness mm-hmm. that we're dealing with? Mm-hmm. And that's the whole explanation for all of it. Or is there a component of morality mm-hmm. or a choice that someone makes to choose light or darkness? Mm-hmm. And I want someone to answer that. I think there is. A ch- I think there is. Do you think, think some people consciously say, "I'm," you know what, I prefer darkness? I think what happens is it's a perfect recipe. So you, and there are different models, of course, but I think that there is a biological component an environmental component and an experiential component. Okay. And when you get the perfect combination, so say you're a child who experiences some extreme trauma, like it could be even like maybe you were experienced extreme uh, physical or neglect or any sort of like 
abuse when you were a mm-hmm. child. And then you're also in an environment where you're especially, ugh, it's like this attachment period from about birth to two years old, maybe four, probably two, that's really crucial. And if you're a child who experiences distress during that time and you look to a parent or a caregiver who's supposed to provide you the answers and they're not, then you learn how to self-soothe through really negative ways. And you match those negative ways with tragedy, with... It's just like a, a terrible recipe for this and, but i think there is a, a biological predisposition to it that it's kind of like you can have the light bulb in the light socket but if you don't have the right environmental factors it doesn't get necessarily get flipped on or you can have all this tragedy happen to you but you don't have the biological predisposition to have these sort of ugh, mental illnesses or or what have you then the there's no light that comes on. But with all, everything is perfect or horrible, however you want to put it, that happens. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like baffling to people. That I think that's why murder and extreme crime is so um, it's such a curiosity. It really is. And why people love movies about it and TV shows and they binge listen to serial and all that stuff. We can't understand how somebody could do that because it goes against everything that's in our being. Yeah. And so when I write to these killers, what I'm trying to glean is was this something mm-hmm. that you... Like, is there a moment where you could have gone down this path or this mm-hmm. path and you kind of like preferred this other mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. And what could we all have done? Like if we meet people or are in that position ourselves, mm-hmm. what could we do to avoid that? Well, I think about a child who maybe has the signs of somebody who is, maybe is, could go down this path. And there are certain things you look for, like vindic- vindictiveness and cruelty to animals and, um, like setting fires or bedwetting or things like that. Why is bedwetting such a big one? I know it got popularized with this very specific study and it's limited, but, mm-hmm. but, but people really like it's connected to a lot of like weird behavior. Yeah. And I think that comes down to not having that care during that certain time where those needs are not met and the 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 but there's a lot of bedwetters that are you know normal right right it's i look at the bedwetting not i look at it as a sign of a like the well that's that's a tough one too cuz in, in have, anecdotally yeah i was a bedwetter until i was like 10 uh-huh and 
the day that I stopped sucking my thumb, because mm-hmm. I sucked my thumb forever, mm-hmm. was the day that the bedwetting stopped. Mm-hmm. So it was because my the thumb sucking told my brain that I was a baby. Yep. And so it all went together. Okay, that's what I mean of that's a, the fulfilling of a need mm-hmm. where maybe something in the family structure, maybe something that was going on in your house, like you possibly didn't have a gentle transition through that next phase of life. Or maybe there was something where you got a little bit stunted in that, where maybe it was... Or maybe it was just physiological. Or maybe it was physiological. The act You're, of sucking. I, it's absolutely. Yeah. And also... And that... But that self, that is a self-soothing thing. Oh, for sure. Sucking your thumb is self-soothing. So when you were a child and you... you something happened or whatever, you sucked your thumb and that was a way to soothe you. And then... And I was... a. Uh, uh, thumb sucker and I not a thumb sucker I had a pacifier until I was pe- through in elementary school really? like what like into first grade hmm. and I, I wouldn't I couldn't give up my pacifier did they make you give it up or uh, what? my mom then she made, was like, like Stop well it. we made like a whole ceremony around it or whatever That's nice. but anecdotally when I lost the pacifier I had to then figure out a new coping mechanism and I started biting my nails like crazy. Hmm. I started compulsively eating. I start like there was a there was a, a something that needed to be that I needed to learn a healthy coping mechanism. And I I I'm going to try with my children to, to and I see you do it with your son that he does practice like a mindfulness hmm. kind of based like where you tell him to be recognized like acknowledge his feelings and he you know if he's getting angry or something mm-hmm. like that and um my friend mariana has a great trick to do it too she with her kids she said whenever her son's getting really frustrated she like has him throw his hands up in the air and like like there's like a word he says and he's oh he, oh she says show me your oh show me your it's either show me your calm or show me your something and he goes like oh Oh, and she, and it's like a way to physically represent, like, I'm feeling stressed. I need to relax. I need to, whew, I need to let it go. And, and that's like a way to, but if you don't have that, it's like something happens where you're just like, oh, I need to fix it. And we stick a thumb in our mouth or do something or like, there's some, there's so much to it that, and who the heck knows? Cause it's a combination well, of that's a whole the thing bunch that, of things. That troubles me is that. I just finished reading Confessions of a Serial Killer. It's about the BTK BTK mm-hmm. killer. And it's he wrote most of it. It's in his voice. Mm-hmm. And um he tries to figure out like what caused it. Yeah. And a lot of it seems to be like the what fires to, together wires together whatever yes. that thing is. Yes. Oh boy. And that troubles me because it's so um you can't you don't know it's happening. Right. And there's really no way to prevent that. Well, and you can almost see it in other categories. Like with parents who, uh, if their kid is acting up and they calm their kid down with food or they calm their kid down with candy or they're like, here, here, just have this, have this, have this, have this. That child then will, I can almost bet you dollars to donuts, they're going to have 
a food addiction when they're older mm-hmm. because they look to food to calm themselves down all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see how, and why behavioral therapy is so good because it's, you got to stop, you got to stop that wiring from that. But you would know, it's not like it just happens overnight. Yeah, but this his were a, weird. Like, like what? Ooh, he God. recalled this one time when he was young when his mom had on a ring and she was doing something with the sofa and her ring got caught on the springs of the sofa and she was like can you go run and tell the neighbors like i'm stuck on this couch and he attributes that to part of the reason he liked women in bondage and because it gave him like he said it made him him feel something in his groin because he was the hero rescuer and he, <gasps> and who would think? I mean, that's something that could happen to any kid. Oh my! <laughs> I can. That's really. And it's interesting that he would even start, the, think right, back and remember that. it, and it was so significant to him. And it was just like an accident that she got a ring caught on the wire, oh. right? And so that's not that repetitive. Like, here's so food, questions. you know, to make right. you feel better. That's just one day. That's one day. And then you think, well, we're all screwed. And, Oof. you know, hmm. what do you think of that? Do you, but, Cause he doesn't know either. He's theorizing. Yeah. That's what I wonder is I wonder if, if you could then, cause sometimes people, especially people who are like borderline personality will rewrite the story to match. Yeah. We outcome. all could do that. We like, all could maybe do I do this maybe. because of this. And and also memories are tampered with, are screwed up every time you access them. Right. So d- is maybe but then again that sounds like a really good explanation for you know, but I just wonder if you had a child who maybe did I oh, oh god. <laughs> I'm I'm wrestling the with that. The whole book one. is really good. With that if, a lot. If you're interested in the details of the killings and stuff, I was disappointed because I would have preferred the book talk more about his real relationships with his wife and his kids mm-hmm. rather than the dark side of him. Because to me, the interesting part of BTK is the fact that he lived this quote unquote normal life, had a normal job. Most serial killers don't. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him interesting. It's not all the bondage and the horrible things he did, which were horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish there was more of that, but in terms of him trying to think of like, wonder what it was. And he like lists a bunch of stuff that he thinks contributed wow. to that stuff. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Especially and, that it's written in his own voice. Yeah. He participated with this woman to write it. It just came out. Wow. Well, I'll put that on the must read. Maybe I'll <laughs> read that as one of my book club books one month. Yeah. I mean, Even but it's super dark. I, mean, I, I can use. It might be a trigger for a lot of people. That's the thing. Oh, we we have this book club. It's called the Brain Candy Book Club, and we are trying to get as many people to join as possible because we found that it is so number one encouraging us to read. Yes, I love that. We have a great group that we all meet each month each month online and talk about the book, so we learn a lot, and so. Yeah, we're always trying to pick good books for the group. Well, and then we get and then we get to interview the authors often. Right. And when we did our last uh book club meeting, uh when I read the book The Sports Gene, 
I had such a great book club meeting with everybody and got such great ideas and things, topics that kept coming up over and over that we were really interested in that then gave me basically all the questions that readers wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. I got to then ask David Epstein, who's the author, and he was so amazing at answering all of them. And it was like everything when you read a book and you're like, well, what about this? What about this? And then we get to actually ask him those exact questions. And you can access all those interviews on our website. We have members exclusive access to that part of our website. Um, so if you want to join, you can go to the braincandypodcast.com and um, join our book club. And we're going to send out a little treat to everyone that joins. Ooh, and treats. I told them if you're in the book club and you get your friend to join, we'll send you and your friend Whoa, something. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I got my husband to join. What do I get? You get a um, Brain Candy Lifetime membership tote. to the Brain Candy everything. <laughs> the tote that you designed. Yeah. Yes. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Um, what was, do you have a favorite book of 2016? I was, you know, it's funny. I was just about to ask you the exact same question. And I was trying to think of mine and come up with one. I think, oh, I know. What? Moonwalking with Einstein. Yeah. Yep. That was my favorite book. Because it fundamentally changed how my brain works. Yeah. I am a different studier and I'm better in school because of that book. I remember when we did that one for the book club and we were kind of split. Like half the group were like, this is life changing. Mm -hmm. And some of us were like, eh. Yeah. But but it depends on how your brain processes stuff. Absolutely. And the things that are important to you. Like for some people retaining ridiculous information there's no, that doesn't serve a pur- purpose it's not yeah it's not so useful it's not useful yeah. and god i hope i get to the point where that won't be useful for me cuz i'm somewhat <laughs> exhausting every now and then to like have to memorize so much so uh maybe i maybe the people who don't have to do that found it like well you know what do i what the heck do i want to remember a bunch of crud for did you read any fiction this year we're no. so weird. I know. Because I don't either. But most people really like I re- I'm, But I'm going to start because my first book for January for the book club is The Handmaiden's Tale, Handmaid's Tale, um, by what's it, Margaret Alcott, maybe? I think Atwood. That's, Atwood. Margaret Atwood. Uh, it was recommended to me by my friend and big-time reader, Allie. Shout out to Allie. She loves reading. And she recommended this book. And it is a non no fiction i always get, i always mess this up it's fiction fiction i always remember fiction fake oh that's good that's how i remember it but fiction fake that'll be my first fiction book let me think what was the last one you read <sighs> i couldn't even tell you yeah right uh no because it's those just don't really for count me either I was going to say, like, I read a lot of those, like, David Sedaris books, but those are real stories. Those yeah. Are his, even though they're funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not for me, but a lot of people really love them. Um, 
I like this book that came out called Real Food, Fake Food, mm-hmm. which I've read a lot of books about, like, here's what's in your food. You know, like the whole, like, um, Michael Pollan movement in defense of food and the mm-hmm. omnivores dilemma. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are all the good, too. dilemmas was a big hit. Yeah. Those are great, but this is different. And it's to say that, like, so in other countries, like in Italy and France, there are very strict rules about what you're allowed to call certain types of food. So Parmigiano Reggiano, for example, there is like laws and you have to do the following things to make sure that it is, can be classified as Parmesan. And though that's illegal here, you can't have a copyright or whatever you'd call that on a type of food. Only a business can have a copyright or a patent or whatever. So what that means then is we call all kinds of things Parmesan that are not. Right. And they're essentially garbage. Garbage. (laughs) And even like olive oil, wine. I was just going to say olive oil is the number one where you're not even freaking getting what you think you're getting. He said that the stuff like Bartoli, he, you know, for example, yeah. Bartoli is what comes to mind. It, it's not, it's only good to like lube your yeah. tires or whatever. Yeah. Like it, you can't even call it a food. Somebody said that only like between six and 12% of the actual bottle is actual olive, like is right. olive oil. The rest is filler. It's synthetic. <gasps> yeah. And then like that makes beef. Me so angry. Oh, yeah. I heard that too. There's like five restaurants in America that sell real Kobe beef. Five. Ugh. And how many times have you seen Kobe burger? Kobe? All the time. It's not. It's, they can say it when it's not. I, that's so dumb that that's a rule in, in like the United States. But it's just because of money. So stupid. Like other countries value things other yes. than money. Right. And Health. so they, yeah. And like legitimacy Longevity. and like when something says something, it is something here. I mean, think it about it. Right. Fruit roll-ups are called fruit. There's no Roll- fruit <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So that was a good book. Real food. Let me write that down. Well, speaking of cookbooks and things along those lines... Sue's over here got me the best. Well, she got me like a whole bunch of super awesome Christmas presents. She's the best gift giver people. (laughs) But one thing she got me that I'm so excited for is the book, make the bread by the butter. And it is, it's not a cook. I should say it, it has recipes, but I wouldn't even call it a cookbook. It's more like a living book Mm -hmm. because I sat down the night she gave it to me and read through that thing for a good hour and a half. And they are stories. So I want to put it out there that I'm going to add this as a bonus book for our book club because I just want to read and talk about it with people and then talk about if you actually did the things in there. So let me just get to what it's all about because you're probably like, what what the heck is this book? So it's this woman who... Uh, I think it said that she maybe like lost her job or her, somehow the financial situation changed where she was like, I got to save some money and I need to find out like, what should I be spending money on food wise and what should I be making on my own? And she breaks, she did it all for you. She found out like, also, I didn't know half these things were so freaking easy to make. 
Like cottage cheese? I want to make my own cottage cheese. And it costs you like eight cents a serving to make it on your own. Mm-hmm. And it's putting milk or whatever it is. I forget what the ingredients are. In the oven on like super low for 10 hours. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy. And you don't get any of the chemicals in it. And then she breaks it down. She's like, well, this is what you should be buying at, at the grocery store. What's you know worth it to just buy there and too much hassle to make. And she rates it on a hassle scale. She rates like everything. So you just open it up and you're like... I mean, there there are so many things I can't even tell you that I opened that book and I was like, well, that was that's easy. That's all that goes into that. That I should never like. Don't buy microwave popcorn, people. Well, that is for sure. That's, I don't know why people are doing. I don't. That. You know how easy it is to make popcorn on the stove? Yeah, I like, do it all the time. That's almost easier than making it in the microwave. Well, I didn't have a microwave growing up, and I find that there almost everything is easier for me stove top or oven yeah and to be honest i find that it takes the same amount of time mm-hmm. people think i'm crazy but it's true i i would agree with that <laughs> except really for maybe like heating up a cup of tea or something like that yeah I, I don't i don't like it so i think this book is absolutely fantastic i'm really excited about it i'm really excited to make a lot of the things in there yeah and the stories that go with it she, like, she talks before each uh, little recipe or mm. each little <clears throat> mm, item that she makes she tells the story about you know why she tried to make this on her own what the experience was like you know it some things are more hassle some things are much easier so right it's great well the title says it all so you make the bread and you buy the butter because but making butter is a pain in the butt yeah don't do it and it only saves you something like two cents right for a whole stick and you're like forget it so i got a bread maker i make granola with lincoln every week I do the certain things every, however so often. That's the other thing I feel like this book is is kind of um, setting into motion is a routine and almost like a family routine. Like mm-hmm. uh, in our house, we make this and this and this. And these are the things that we bet we always have. Like my aunt makes her own preserves and make, does that yeah. kind of stuff and because she doesn't want to buy the stuff with all the sugar in it and... You know, so it's a good way to... Well, and I really hate any kind of, like, pomposity about, you know, like, this farm-to-table movement or whatever, organic, that excludes folks who have low income. Mm -hmm. And so I like this because this speaks to that, too. Yes. Like, what is affordable, what is not, you know, things like that. So, you know how you buy, like, maybe you don't, but, you know, people that like food tend to buy cookbooks all the time Mm -hmm. with the intention of using them. Mm -hmm. And then nobody ever does. And this book, the pages are worn. Yeah. Like I use it all the time. So I I mean, it's even just sitting out on my coffee table now and I'm like learning so much from it. Yeah. It's fun. It's really fun. I'm glad you chose it as our bonus book. Yeah. So that's my bonus book. Plus, oh, I forgot to say we have, um, if you do join the book club or you're in the book club you're entered to win i have all these books they send us books now like the publishers because they it. want them, us to choose them and so we have like a stack oh, we have good ones of cool books yeah um that you can be entered to win uh as a book club member awesome yeah um let me think hold on let me look at my shelf hold on yeah what do you got going on over there uh, what's like your favorite book of all time have i asked you that before it's oh, a good one. Um, oh, I remember. It was a, this faith book, but it's not... What is it called? Mere Christianity. Yes. It's, it's impressive that you remember that. I mean, I, I barely didn't remember the name of it, but <laughs> I got the general concept. I mean, any Christian will know that book. It's sort of like... 
you know, it's if you read it, it's very convincing. It makes you think the Christians are onto something. C.S. Lewis. What about Lewis. that book, Proof of Life? Is that what's called? Proof I just of Heaven. Saw the movie. Proof of oh. Heaven. I don't no, know. No one, that, one or miracle. It's a, like the one that little boy <laughs> about the little boy who had experienced past life. Uh-huh. But then they found out it was fake. Yeah, there's a lot of that. What's the deal with that? Why are little boys faking their past lives? I think people are rewarded for with attention for yeah. that kind of thing. Interesting. I want to read it, look more into that because my mom kept on trying to sell me on that book for years. She was like, "This is the truth." Oh, for people. And then sake. they found out it was fake, and I was like, "Well, well it's not really it's true." Not. <laughs> Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, I read Norm MacDonald's book um, called Based on a True Story. Yeah, is that good? Well, I love Norm MacDonald. Mm -hmm, I love a good comedian. And yeah, it's really good. He calls it a novel. Most people put it into the memoir category, but it's not true. Like he, he... is telling it like it's his real life, uh-huh. but it's just to be funny. I think I like that better. It reminds me, I've read a lot of um, Marx Brothers comedy yeah. and sh- stories, and it's like that style. If you're into the Marx Brothers, it's that where it's like, it's just very clever and smart, and he's great. Are so. there any uh, like television personalities or people like that who have written that you think make fantastic authors? Because sometimes I think the two, it doesn't translate. How just because you're really good in one genre doesn't necessarily mean you're going to blow it away in another. I'll tell you what's on my list because I hear it's great. What? Carrie Fisher's Wishful I Drinking. I heard that too. We got to read that. We Maybe should it's for read next that. Month. We should. Oh, come on. We should. Because she did read a one woman show about yeah. it. Yeah. And people say it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Well, and I didn't even know this, but you know she was a science fiction writer. I did not. I didn't know. Landon because told, of Star Wars? I don't think because, I don't, well, maybe, but and I don't even know if it was necessarily science fiction, but she wrote like novels. She wrote, she was an author. <laughs> Sarah, this is I think it was science fiction because that's what my husband said, but she, she wrote novels on the side. That were not, didn't have anything to do with her. This is what my husband told me. He could be wrong. I think he might be, but oh we'll my find God, out. I hope he is. He, I, he's never wrong. Oh, so, you yeah. Know. And she wrote that book, Postcards from the Edge, okay, which I well, heard was amazing go. too. So, I heard that she was, you know, a writer. Like, what are you looking up? Uh, her books. Hold on. I want to tell you what. Oh, I read this other book. And I did an interview with this guy, Tom Kratten Maker. Mm-hmm. It's called Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower. Yeah, I've heard of that one. He is, like many people, not a believer, but he models his life around Jesus, which resonates with me. Uh-huh. Um, and I would highly recommend his book. And I'm going to post his interview as well. Um, I might even post it with this episode. Because yeah, he do is it. okay. I'll add it to this episode because he's 
tremendous and the book I is very I inspiring. I that interview. Did you? Yeah. Or maybe I, I wrote about it on my blog. Oh, that's probably it. Yeah. yeah. And I just think if more people were like this guy, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. world would be pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'll add it to this episode so you can hear it. Hmm. Um, I have a long list of books I want to read. Oh yeah. Tell me what are on there. Uh, Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics. I heard, have you read I, it? No, but I heard about that book. Really? Yeah. Bad I did. I have heard that that one was good. Hmm. Lots of books about killers. <laughs> Love that. Adam said to me on the way home from your house the other night, he goes, um... Why are you so into serial killers anyway? Because <laughs> we were it. talking about them. Well, and a lot of our yeah, a lot of our conversations do end up there. I mean, I don't know why, but whatever. Hey, did you end up reading the life changing magic of tidying up? No, I didn't. You know how everyone's bananas about that book. Yep, and I was just watching a stand up comedian, Allie Cameron Wong Wentworth. Who? Uh, this hilarious comedian. Oh my God. She's, is she Asian? Yes. And she's did her last stand up seven months pregnant. Yeah. Did you see it? I just saw a clip. You have to see it. It's so freaking funny. She's a genius. Okay. I love it. And even though she's like so anti-feminism, but the way she presents it is so funny that I loved it. Just She's watch. anti-feminist? You'll see it, but then it comes for full circle and maybe not. Okay. So it's, it, you'll see why it's, I don't want to give any more away. Cause it, well, well what, what did she say about tidying up? Uh, well, I mean, just that she said that the, <laughs> the books that you can tell somebody's age by the books on their Kindle reading list and how in the twenties, it's all like, you're reading like these adventure books and da da da, And your thirties is like how to get my shit together. <laughs> like, you the s- art of tidying up. <laughs> the funniest thing is that the other day you said that was your. New Year's resolution was get your shit together. Get my shit together. Is that still how you feel? Though? Yeah, I do feel like that. Cause I just thought, you know, sometimes when you got like, um, a, a bunch of like, like the spinning plates, you know, like I always feel like I've got 20 plates spinning and I just got to like keep running to the around to like keep all of them spinning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes some of them fall and so I'm just trying to keep as many spinning as I can this year. Maybe mm-hmm. I should probably take some away, but. Yeah. You seem to just keep adding more spinning plates. Well, I've got to read 50 books, though, according to my New Year's resolution. So We need to throw in some uh People can fiction. recommend them to me. Please, no fiction. No, I do not want fiction. You don't want fiction. I have no desire. I will watch a movie. Yeah, you know what? I do kind of feel like if I'm not reading something that's making my brain, not reading something that, like... I'm learning from, mm-hmm. it feels like a waste. Well, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. And a movie's an hour and a half or two hours. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So that's my plan. Um, oh, did I wanna... you read, oh wait, I have to ask you, did what? you read any of those really popular series? Like, did you read the Hunger Games? No, that's fiction. Uh, well, I know, but I don't like fiction, but I loved those books. Why? I only read the first two, but what did I, you I, like about I liked them. them. I Why? Love, I love dystopian future books. <laughs> well, you're in luck. I know. I'm uh, just waiting for a real-life zombie apocalypse so I can bust out my zombie survival kit, and then everything will be fine. I so. did not read them. I don't get them. I wouldn't even watch the movies. Oh, my God. Uh-uh. I went to the midnight premiere of all three. You are so weird, so midnight. Weird. I know. Jesus. Yep, it was great. With my friend Allie and Sarah. Shout out to Allie and Sarah. 
There is a Nerds. funny article that you should read. It's called on salon.com. My little free library war. How our suburban front yard lending box made me hate books and fear my neighbors. Well, so have you seen these things? Yeah. How, what, what's your feel about them? I'm annoyed by them. Why are you annoyed by them? <laughs> because what you, hate reading or sharing we or have giving libraries. First of all, that is true. And second have, of all, they they just become garbage dumps. They do, and they have really crappy books. Yeah, and so that's what this art article's about. Or they're all religious books. I went to one, and it was just like the Catholic Church had. Done the garage sale. No. Well, this person kind of said the same thing, which was that, like, first of all, people do not return the books, even though you're supposed to. It's like the honor system. Yeah. Or at least put it a different book in its place. Mm-hmm. And this is the line that made me laugh. Um, <laughs> people. Oh, I can't find it. But it's basically like. I'm trying to find the line. Basically, people love free shit. <laughs> like, why do they take yes. stuff that they don't want or need? This, it's just because it's free. This would explain why I have a hundred shampoo bottles at my house. From hotels? Yeah. Well, you use that, though. Yeah, but not a hundred. And then every time I go to a new hotel, I take more. Wait. So there's always a backstop. I of- take mine as well. Yeah. But then I use them instead of opening a new bottle. Of, like, full size. Well, I keep them for guests, and I have a jar that says... I have seen that jar. You know, and it's got all the stuff in it, so if you come over... but then And then I, like, take it if we go somewhere, or, like, you know... But then I got my shampoo in my house I like. That's going to bother me. Yeah. You could just use it. But the shampoo at the hotel is crappy. Aren't there, like, really cool... um, Like, you can donate them to, like, homeless people or veterans or something. Yeah. That might be a good way for you to feel better about that situation. That, that would be nice. But I should also just stop stealing them. <laughs> it's not I stealing. I just love free stuff. It's not stealing. It's not. They're And I'm for how much I'm paying a, a night at a hotel? Yeah. They should be full size. <laughs> well, they won't be. But no. they're, it's not stealing. I don't like when people are like, should you or shouldn't you? Of course yeah, you, you should. should. Just don't take the towels. Yeah, the robes. It's fine. Uh, Anything. Other books you want to read or have read? Uh, well, you know what I uh, am interested in is Kahuta recommended one. Oh, geez. The, why do you say oh, geez like that? I that feel like funny. he would have the the best recommendations for... It's called... Okay, 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 okay. Now I have to find out what it's called. You think I would have all this stuff ready. It's called uh, The Education of Little Tree. Have oh, you heard about this? No. I haven't either. But he says he swears by it. He says it's so good. And um, I feel like he, you know, just knows about stuff like this. It says it's a memoir-style novel and about a boy orphan, very young, who was adopted by his Cherokee grandmother in the... Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee during the Great Depression. Hmm. All right. I'll look into that. Sounds like an uplifting tale. I'm going to include all these recommendations on our newsletter, which you can sign up for on thebraincannypodcast.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? 
Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And I guess without further ado, we've decided to add a wonderful interview with a very inspiring author. Yes. Tom Crattenmaker, who wrote uh, the wonderful book, Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower, which you should buy and read. And uh, here we go. Welcome, Tom. Out of nowhere. Welcome, Tom. I have invited you here. I've harassed you, harassed you into coming yeah, here. Because... <laughs> it was so difficult to get me to agree to this. Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower, Finding Answers in Jesus for Those Who Don't Believe is your awesome new book that I just finished. I have a lot of questions. Thanks for reading it. Ask away. Thanks for writing it. Here's <laughs> the thing. All right. First of all, tell me why you wrote the book. The really snarky answer is that <laughs> my friend Tony told me that I should write that book. And really? so I did. Why? Did he feel there was a need? For many years, Tony and I had been having really great conversations. He's one of my actually fairly numerous Christian friends. He's a really cool guy in Portland. I used to live in Portland, you know, until 22 months ago. Yeah, <laughs> but who's counting? Before I came to, yeah, that's kind of precise, isn't it? Don't yeah. read too much into that. Yeah. At least I didn't work in how many days. <laughs> but uh, Tony's like one of my super cool evangelical Christian friends. Okay. Not like the stereotype of an evangelical. He looks like a beat poet. Right. He's got a goatee and a shaved head, and sometimes he wears like a beat poet kind of hat. Okay. And we would often go to um, Kells, which is a really cool pub in downtown Portland. Yeah. And we would have cigars and beers, non-alcoholic in my case. And we would talk about theology and life. I first met Tony because of my writing journeys. Got it. I got to know each other. Yeah. And so as time went on, he started to uh, really clearly understand that I was in an unusual situation. Mm -hmm. That is, I'm a secular progressive guy, not a religious believer, and I have the highest regard for Jesus. Yeah. And so as a progressive evangelical, he thought that was pretty cool because they're glad when somebody likes Jesus. <laughs> and so one day when we were talking about what books we should write next, he's like, Tom, you should totally write a book imploring your fellow secular progressives to follow the way of Jesus. And I thought, because I had been having other conversations too, where I started to, I, I noticed I was using that label for myself. Yeah. Secular Jesus follower. I'm like, Tony, that's a pretty good idea. And then I Googled secular Jesus follower. And I saw that that term wasn't being used. It was like, it was not a totally new idea, but it was the new phrase. Yeah. And I say it's not a totally new idea because I wager there are lots and lots of people who I think so. aren't religious, but who think that the way of Jesus is really compelling. Right. I feel that way about myself. Um, and it, that's part of why your book was so profound and wonderful for me, but the more I read it, the more I felt like this is a book for everybody. It should be called uh, a manual on how to not be a jerk, <laughs> basically. <laughs> that should have been the subtitle. Yeah, you really blew it with the title. No, I mean, <laughs> that's how it felt was like, yeah, 
why isn't everyone doing this and stop being a-holes to each other? How about well, I that? that? I know that um, in your most recent episode, you and Sarah were talking about narcissism and empathy. Yeah. yeah. So the conversation we're having fits into that. I mean, one of the huge takeaways you get from trying to follow the way of Jesus is that you have empathy and you're not just living for yourself or out of your own fears and anxieties and petty concerns. Yeah. But there's something more than me. Yeah. And the way that you describe it makes it feel more accessible because sometimes it can feel like, well, that's impossible. How can I do, uh -huh. live like Jesus that he's the blueprint, you know? And then when you unpacked it so well in your book, I felt like, okay, I can, tr I can do this. I can try to do this. And then I was like, I got to get this book and I got to put it like a box of them in my trunk and give it to everybody. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, go for it. This but uh, I'm really uh, happy to hear you say that because that was my hope is yeah. to show what it might actually look like if you were to try to implement this imperfectly, yeah. right? But if yeah. you tried to implement this in your life, just yesterday, somebody was asking me like, why would a secular person want to do this? And I said, well, because your life will be richer, yeah. ultimately, and we would nudge the world closer to a kind of world we would want to live in. Yes. And you talked a little bit about uh, politics. Of course, that, that's on everybody's mind at the moment. And right. you mentioned how it's so much more than that. It's about creating movements. And I sure. was wondering what your advice is for someone who feels like that's hard and big and scary how could I start a movement or be a part of a movement? Well, you could join something that's already happening. And there are lots of good efforts underway all across our society. Yeah. Some of them don't get a huge amount of uh, publicity. Yeah. But there are earnest, good-hearted people working in, on every imaginable cause, whether it's trafficking or climate change. Um, and we could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Or you could start small yourself if you find that in your community there's nothing going on that addresses um, a major concern you might have. Yeah. Who and a small number of others can start something. And even something small can ripple out and have an impact. Yeah. So I'm glad you bring that up because that's a great way of really following Jesus and trying to put some of these ideas and practices into play, into, um, into our lives. There's a group that I, a couple guys I spoke to yesterday who have a, uh, organization called the table setters and their premise is about racial reconciliation and the idea that if you just sit down with people and break bread and have a meal, you can really start to understand and, and have empathy for what their life looks like. And I felt so many things in your book were speaking to the same idea. Like if you can't be a, involved in some big protest or whatever how about saying hi to somebody that looks different than you or that i know you know i mean it seems it seems really small and simple but i think even that is valuable I do and you too. don't know what ripples that could send out yeah and that's something that really it was uh inspirational for me in your book yeah, and glad for that. you talked about i love this line get to know people before you hate them <laughs> i know doesn't that seem like a <laughs> Really radical claim. <laughs> but who, we don't do it. It's such a great line. But nobody, I mean, there's all sorts of hating going on toward people we don't even know. Yeah, we all do it. I do it in my car about 100 times well, a day. Don't even talk about cars. <laughs> I mean, there are, way, there are areas in my life where I'm not doing very well with implementing the Jesus way. <laughs> and the experience in the car is a huge example. Yeah. But 
on a more serious note, that's be, I really think it's because um, there's no human interaction. It's just these metal boxes, and often you can't see the other driver. Yeah. And so it's kind of a dehumanizing experience. It brings out the worst in us, really. Yeah. It, it's another metal box that does that is our phones and not being online. And we I'll say, online, right? yeah, we say things all the time that, you know, could, are hurtful. And you asked that question in, in your book is like, what pain might I be causing towards someone rather than always thinking that person's sliding me or that person's hurting me, you know, just to ask yourself, who am I hurting? You could Seriously. probably think of some people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, same with me. And I'm really, uh, I'm glad that that resonated with you. The whole book did, Tom. This is just me telling you how great you are, basically. <laughs> It's really a useful practice because a lot of us spend our time thinking about the slights that we receive, ways in which we were dissed. Yeah. Or somebody overlooked us or did something that made us mad. Yeah. At that very moment, we could be causing the same experience for somebody else. Yeah. And hello, that's something that Jesus talked about in some of the most famous teachings, you know? Like, uh, take a look at yourself before you start criticizing others. That's not the exact wording, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Was there a moment... So you were raised Catholic. Was there a particular moment when you were like, uh, I don't think Jesus is divine? Or was it just sort of over a period of time where it just didn't resonate for you anymore in that way? I'm not sure how it built up, but I do remember when I was about 17 having this uh, moment when it, be- it was really clear by then. <laughs> and I had a conversation with my father about it. I talk about it a little bit in the book. Yeah. And um, that's when I first said some of the things that I ended up saying in the book. I didn't say them very well in that car (laughs) day. And I know that he was really displeased with me. Yeah. But um, ever since then, off and on, I've been having this, uh, making this effort to try to carve out a space for non-believers to actually be able to engage with the figure of Jesus and feel like, you know, we can do that too, even if we don't subscribe to the doctrine and the supernatural beliefs. You ever have moments where you're like, "Hmm, maybe I do think for a second they might be on to something or is it just a closed book? It's probably neither. I mean, I get asked about this yeah. fairly often and I always, people ask me, well, why don't you just convert Tom or <laughs> you think you'll ever convert? And I say, well, I can't predict the future. Yeah. And, um, you probably know from reading my book that I'm really not at all opposed to Christianity. I'm actually supportive of it and supportive of my friends who are Christians. Yeah. Uh, it seems unlikely to me at this point. <laughs> I've heard all the arguments. Yeah. I actually even tried when I was uh, an undergraduate and I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ for a little while. Yeah. And and so I I get why people believe. Yeah. And it feels like it's just a bridge too far for me. And I haven't had those kinds of experiences where suddenly it seems very real to me. Yeah. And maybe it will happen someday, but I would guess it probably won't. And I don't want that to stop me from following Jesus. Yeah. Is there anything in the Jesus, the biblical Jesus narrative that doesn't strike you as something you want to replicate? Well, there's actually a lot. And um, I'm going to I'm getting asked about this and I will a lot more. But just think about the religious claims. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus makes a lot of religious claims, right? He talks about God in the Gospel of John. He talks about I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Yeah. And so to look at your question you think, well, what's Tom going to do with all these religious teachings that Jesus makes? Yeah. And so, you know, I address that in the book. I think you uh, have a sense of how I deal with that. Yeah. And I say that the uh, non-religious person can just ignore those things if he or she likes. I mean, I know that sounds really yeah. but it's true. Yeah. Or 
or you can understand those things metaphorically. You can find some way of translating it so that it has meaning and that it's believable in some way. I end up, I usually do that myself. Yeah. Rather than just completely ignore it. Yeah. But um, it's, it's a good exercise. When I was talking to some friends, they, they're like secular Jesus follower. Like, how can you as a liberal guy follow Jesus's teaching on divorce? Mm. I mean, because that's a teaching that doesn't really go over well in our culture these days, right? Right. You know, yeah, we're big fans of divorce. Well, yeah, Americans are. <laughs> I guess the rate's gone down a little bit, but it was up in like to 50% of marriages. Yeah. And so most of us in this culture are like, yeah, divorce is, you know, we don't love it, but it's good that it's available, right? And so I tried to um, examine that teaching and figure out what the hell we're supposed to do with that here yeah. in 2016 in yeah. the United States. And, um, I studied that, thought about it, and I came up with my way of sort of implementing it in this day and age. One thing I found is that it's very, um, it's a challenge for men and it's kind of empowering for women when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Because he's not saying, hey, you can never get divorced. He's basically basically saying, men, don't discard your wives, (laughs) as I saw it. I mean, it was was addressed to men. Yeah. And I unpack it in such a way that I uh, think about the horrible things that men do, heterosexual men do in our culture mm-hmm. in this day and age with regard to how they treat women. And so I think there's a lot to learn from that. Yeah. And um, my own way to interpret it is that if you're going to get divorced, you better have a damn good reason. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be because you like somebody else or you're attracted to somebody else. Yeah. And you should think about the human consequences. There's going to be some lives that are very deeply affected and maybe even damaged. Yeah. Whether it's the spouse you're discarding or the kids who are going to be affected, people shouldn't do this stuff lightly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that to me is such a, a great thing that you provide in the book, as well as your discussion on porn and sexual culture and just the, the human uh, damage that can be done. Right. And I'm thinking, that was my first thought, was a a bunch of women that I want to send this book to. And I feel like maybe that's going to be a big response that you're going to get is from women who are like, hey, thanks. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, if somebody says I'm a prude, so be it. You know, I'll take it. (laughs) Have people said that yet? Are you getting criticism? No, and I say that half jokingly, but I might. I mean, you probably, I mean, I'm sure you agree that in many uh, liberal circles, the general attitude is like, hey, if it's sex, you know. It's okay. I don't want to sound like a prude. Yeah. Well, and I know there has been some great things that have come out of the sexual revolution, and especially for women. And those things are great, but you have to also, like you did, look at the flip side of it and what's happening now and maybe push back a bit, which I think is what you did. It strongly relates to Jesus. I mean, when people ask me, what's the main thing? that you get from examining the way of Jesus. And I say over and over again, it's the way that he humanizes people. He humanizes situations that have been dehumanized. Yeah. And and that's so important because so many of the things that are messed up in our culture have to do with people dehumanizing others, whether it's Muslims or men dehumanizing women or white people dehumanizing black people. Yeah. And that's such an important ethic and it's so needed in our culture today. Don't you think that so much of that is driven by, from fear? At least, yes. Yeah. And that makes me so sad. Well, I, it's a huge driver of what's happening politically. I mean, it's yeah. a huge part of the uh, Trump phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. Because our culture is changing. It's changing in a way where such that white people 
do not have the primacy that white people used to have. Yeah. They're and real crabby Christians, about it. <laughs> they're real crabby. Same with, um, same with Christians because mm-hmm. we have more and more people who are non-religious. And there are a couple different ways people can respond to it. One of them is by feeling anxious and fearful. Yes. Worrying that it's going to like, um, you're going to pay a price for that and you're going to lose the privilege and status that you had. I mean, I understand that response. It's so unfortunate, so unhealthy. I think there are much wiser ways that are non-defensive, non-anxious, welcoming, seeing mm-hmm. what's good in the change that we're undergoing. And I hope that's where people end up. But it is an yeah. anxious time in our culture full of fear. And the Jesus ethic applies to that so powerfully. Yes. And you said that that was maybe my favorite part of the book, because it's something I never thought about. A lot of when I think about Jesus is like the way he treats other people. And so I'm not often thinking like, how does it apply to self-care or my own mental health? And you address that so beautifully. Well, the the story that we uh, see in the parable of the loaves and fishes, it really resonates with me because I'm the kind of guy who overreacts (laughs) to something that may seem stressful. Yeah. Like if it's something at work or I get some new assignments all at once, I'm like, how the hell am I ever going (laughs) to ever going to get this done. And so I imagine myself being there with the disciples and Jesus that day when suddenly there's this huge crowd of people and there's yeah. no food. Right. Jesus is like, okay, we have to feed these people. I'd be like, no way. Are you kidding me? How the <laughs> hell are we going to feed all these people? <laughs> right. So I love what happens in the story. And it's the kind of thing I'm trying to like implement in my own life, like quit operating from <laughs> scarcity. Yeah. Chill out. I mean, I never thought about it. You know how when you grow up in the church and you feel like you've heard it all and you've heard every point of view and every interpretation, then somebody says something, you're like, I never thought about that. It's so great and so important. So you did that. Yeah. Hopefully readers will have that experience like you. (laughs) What is getting your uh, wheels turning since you finished the book? And I know now everyone's going to consume it. So you're going to have to talk about it all the time, but what's sort of getting your motor running in terms of your writing and work now? talking about this book. <laughs> you're going to have this experience yourself when yours comes out, but I've not been able to really write columns the way I normally yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, my, my main writing gig is being a contributor to USA and that USA Today, and that's totally falling by the wayside. Yeah. And so all I can do right now is keep up with my regular job here at Yale yeah. and try to do these talks I'm doing and do interviews and a lot of Q&A articles I'm doing. So... But it's a pleasure talking about it. You know, this is why you uh, why you write the book. And, yeah. and when it comes out, you have lots of conversations. And <laughs> that's what's happening now. Well, I think it, even though it might get tiresome for you, it, it's such an important dialogue that that needs to happen. And so I'm just so glad that I can spread the word and have other people read this great message. That's so... Um, hard maybe to implement in your own life, but it's easy to understand and to get started. Let's just get started, you know? Yeah. And that's a good way of looking at it. And, um, I also thought that it was just so, there were times when I thought it was so impossible. Like why the hell even, even try? I mean, nice (laughs) idea. Great. But a conversation I had with the previously mentioned Tony. Yeah. It really helped. Uh, it really influenced the way I see this stuff. I talked about it with Tony about just how high that bar is, and whether it's even worth trying. And I learned something from him in that conversation that's really stuck with me. And he's like, "You don't have to figure out exactly what you're going to do, but just let that inspiration and that idea worm its way 
into your head yeah. and let it influence you. Yeah. And you don't know what's going to happen. It might be something totally surprising. It may be something small and subtle, but just let it happen. And I found that um, really affecting the way I start interacting with people all the time. Did Tony read the book? Um, he hasn't yet. He needs to read he, it. He is so awesome. He is so <laughs> awesome that he is flying from Portland to um, Connecticut to go to my book release party Aww. from Sunday. That's nice. Yeah, he's an amazing guy, and he's a uh, he's been really supportive of this whole thing. But no, he doesn't. I don't think he has a copy yet, which oh my totally gosh. sucks. Oh, you have to give him one. I feel so guilty. As soon as we hang up, I'm going to have to. <laughs> he is the, the inspiration. So I know, and I mentioned him, and totally mentioned him in the acknowledgments. Yeah. So Tony, you'll get your copy. Yes, Tony, <laughs> you'll get your copy, Tony. <laughs> and as as we wrap up, is there anything that you feel like? That people, what's the the big takeaway whenever you're telling people to read the book or promoting the book? What for you is the message? Well, some people think it's weird that somebody who's not religious could follow Jesus because it sounds very Christian-y, right? Mm -hmm, Sure does. (laughs) And so my, what I want people to really understand is that I'm not talking about doing this in a religious way. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not a common thing to follow Jesus in a secular way. But it's totally doable. And not only is it doable, but it's a great idea. And so I hope people can overcome some of the reluctance they might have about Christianity and about religion. And really think about what it would look like if this ethic were actually implemented in our society and in our lives. You know, I gotta say, I wouldn't mind if some Christians went ahead and followed this (laughs) advice too. No, sometimes I, I wouldn't mind that. And my agent, um, who is a Christian, keeps saying, Tom, there's going to be pastors quoting you in their sermons. <laughs> and that's totally fine with me. Hey, seriously, if this leads some people to become Christians, I'm, or you no know, more deeply Christian, I'm, I think that would be great. Yeah, it would. Because sometimes it feels like um, Jesus cramps their style <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. All this love your neighbor stuff. And, uh, so, oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. So, you know, you encourage people to look at others that are different than them and be, uh, have empathy and try to understand them. But the group that, that is very hard for some people to do that towards is evangelical Christians are very conservative. Yeah. How do you do that? I think that (laughs) we should engage with all of our others or quote unquote others in whatever shape or form they are. Yeah. And yes, it gets very difficult for liberals like me to imagine engaging with conservatives, to imagine engaging with Donald Trump supporters. Yeah. I mean, that seems crazy and and off-putting, but there's a way to separate out what we may consider to be bad ideas Mm -hmm. from people. And so in the chapter where I talk about politics, I try to say, yes, let's attack bad ideas, bad policies, but let's not attack people. And then I have my pithy way of saying that sort of like, yes, hate the hate, but (laughs) love the hater. Yeah. It's about people and don't just write off people. Yeah. Fight bad ideas, but don't demonize other people. It's so hard. It's so hard to do. I, another project that I'm working on involves me sending letters to like, um, the Unabomber and we have a ongoing correspondence. I find, yeah. And I find him and other like BTK serial killer. I find them to be more, (laughs) 
like tolerable to me than some of my very conservative family and friends. And I thought to myself, what does that mean about me, A, and, and the philosophy that they, they espoused? I don't know. Oh, I don't my know. mind is blown that you're doing that. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah, it's good fun. Well, I'm really interested in the idea of like good versus evil. And like, if there's a moment that people choose to go down one path, Wow, or another. So I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. It takes a, a minute to get them to open, open up, but it's fun in the meantime. They must have been so surprised to hear from you. Um, yeah, they. <laughs> I don't think that I'm their typical groupie style writer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what you're doing do... is not typical, but it's kind of awesome. So I'm glad I know about it. Yeah, no, it's fun and it's very interesting. And I do hope to find out more about how people choose to go down maybe a, a good a, choose light or darkness basically um but well, let me know what you find out yeah <laughs> i'll get to the bottom of that and but it's just striking to me that sometimes it's really hard to show love or empathy towards people that are just you know like your own family members who disagree with you see i was i was um discussing this with my sister after my uh, column came out where i said can hillary clinton supporters love Donald Trump. Yeah. And uh, my sister's like, wow, that's really <laughs> challenging. And I think that was her polite way of saying I was nuts. <laughs> and I said, but what's the point of idealism when we suspend it in that's the hardest true. moments? I yeah. mean, that's the whole point of idealism <laughs> is that you apply it when it's least easy to apply. I know. You're so that's right. That's the thing about Jesus following too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when it's interesting. If you were going to do the thing anyway, then what difference does it make? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be nice to... Um, Sarah, for example, which I'm sure you are in all instances. <laughs> I mean, that's not like a big Jesus thing because that's just, um, you know, a natural way to be. Yeah. But when it comes to people who piss you off yeah, and who believe very differently from you or look very differently, that's when it gets interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of your whole point that we should, we should try to do. And even though it's hard, I'm going to give it a whirl. All right. And I will too, okay? If you do it, I'll do it. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much for talking to me, and thank you for writing the book. Everyone should grab it, Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower. Now you've got the catchphrase and the whole thing. You're on to something, Tom. I love it. I really appreciate what you're saying. Thank you so much. I'm really glad you like the book. Thank you. Keep on writing. People know. Yeah, I'll spread the word. And they can uh, find out more at secularjesusfollower.com, can't they? There you go. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) Have a great day. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.